Welcome to A Walk in My Stilettos, where our goal is to help you walk in your greatness. I'm your host, McKinney Smith. Hey, Faith Walkers. Thank you for joining us on the A Walk in My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but as a mindset coach, what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today we have Autumn Bree. She's a Toronto-based published photographer specializing in maternity, newborn, child, and family portraits. She's been creating beautiful photographic art for her clients since 2010 on her journey to healing. And Autumn is a childhood abuse survivor, and she's using her story and strength to rebuild herself and inspire others and build a successful six-figure business. Please welcome to the show, Autumn Bree. Hi. Hey. Thank you <laughs> so much for coming on today and sharing your story with us. Of course. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so honored. Thank you. Thank you. So I like to start the show with an icebreaker question. I like to start with this question because as women, we have so many different titles that we go by, but I feel that a title that is not given enough significance is the title we were given at birth, which is our name. And when people say our name, they're basically declaring that meaning to us every time they say it. So my question to you, Autumn, is do you know what your name means? I do. I know what my name means. And I also know the backstory as to how I got my name. Oh, awesome. (laughs) So it's not, I mean, for vegans, it's not a great backstory. (laughs) (laughs) So my name is obviously a season. I actually was named by my grandfather, who is an avid hunter, mm-hmm. and he goes up north um, to Thunder Bay every October to hunt moose, actually. So because it was his favorite season, he loves the colors, he loves the harvest, he loves hunting. That's how I got my name. And he also mm-hmm. was trying to save me from the ridiculous name my mom was trying to name me. So <laughs> 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 that's also... <laughs> So it's a season. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. All right. So I want to go backwards before we get to where you are currently. Sure. And I'd like to ask, what did you want to be when you were a little girl? Wow, I wanted to be so many different things. And the first thing that comes to mind, I wanted to be either a paramedic Or there was a time where I wanted to be like a forensic investigator. And the reason I tell people is because I was very nosy. (laughs) (laughs) You were not nosy, you were inquisitive. (laughs) I was very, very inquisitive. Um, Mm -hmm. And also I am a super fan of like true crime shows. It's actually quite disturbing how much of a fan I am. I was going through my Netflix the other day and I'm like, wow, I've watched every single episode of Forensic Files. I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> it's funny you say that. When I like when I used to watch TV seriously, I used to binge watch CSI Miami and okay. all of those shows. I wanted to know how did this murder happen? How did like how did it take them so long to even find out who the person was? And girl, I feel it's, you. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's more so I'm so interested in the psychology behind everything as well as like the DNA stuff and crime scenes and how they piece things together and that stuff's just very interesting to me but I was never good at science so I could never actually pursue it as a career Mm, (laughs) gotcha it was never my strong suit so yeah that was definitely I think what I wanted to be when I was younger so speaking of strong suit 
I mean, your photography, your photos are absolutely amazing. Thank I you. look at the, the pictures that you have taken, especially with the, the newborns and the babies. And it reminds me of when I had my kids and I was obsessed with the Angetti's baby stuff. The way that you guys depict these beautiful little miracles. So share with us your journey on how you became a professional photographer. Okay, so I actually became a photographer completely by accident. I had no <laughs> desire or dream whatsoever to be a photographer, let alone like make it a full-time career. So I actually come from a child and youth work background. I went to Humber College and then went to Ryerson to do my child and youth care degree. Um, I was working for various organizations around the city. And then my friend and I, we decided that we wanted to create an arts-based program that basically tied in social services with arts. So it was called the Creative Outlet. We ran a camp for four years where we would take kids of all types of disabilities or abilities we would take kids that might have higher needs that other camps weren't really fully equipped to deal with so what we would do is we would use social skills activities with an art medium and we would teach them how to create art but using the social skills to teach them a lesson in, in the end so we would do like skits on bullying or skits on self-esteem and all these different various activities with them and then at the end they would put on a final showcase for their family and friends and we would do little awards and every kid left with an award but we had mm -hmm. like these two top awards that were like the um, actor of the week award and things like that so that was like for the kids that were very memorized on their scripts would come ready for practice every day we didn't have to ask any questions in terms of them getting things done they would just go ahead and do it take initiative to do it mm -hmm. so I think it was the second year we were doing the program I had this idea it would be really nice to have like a wall like a kind of like the Hollywood Walk of Fame um, but it would be a wall of pictures of all of our kids that participated and then the parents could take it off the wall and bring it home after so in order to do that I needed a camera mm -hmm. so I just got kind of like a smaller non-professional camera maybe a thousand bucks didn't really know what I was doing just knew how to use it in auto mode I didn't know Photoshop at all for the first year we did these photos the parents loved them they thought it was such a nice touch to the end of the camp and something for them to take home and then I started getting calls from parents that were saying we love that you captured this photo of our child and we had a couple of children that had autism so a lot of parents had never had a photo with their child making eye contact with the camera right so because I was able to capture that they really felt the need to reach out to do family photos for them and I was like of course I'll do family photos but trust me I'm not a professional I'll do my best I have no clue how to edit so don't ask me to take out your pimples or <laughs> remove a wrinkle from your shirt but no problem I'll do my best so I did one family they loved the photos they told somebody else they loved the photos they told someone else and then it kind of grew from there now how I got into newborn specifically was completely different I had a friend who had a newborn baby she had basically said, you know, I had a photographer that had booked, she's not feeling well. And also, I think that it's too late for me to book someone else. Can you just do a couple shots of my baby? I know you don't know really how to do newborn photos, but I would appreciate anything you give me. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I don't at this time, I didn't even have lighting, I didn't even have like any idea of lighting, shadows, anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I went to Target when Target was around. And I just bought like a little basket 
and a little hat and a scarf or blanket to put in the basket like nothing fancy put the baby in the basket he screamed the whole time (laughs) 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 took a few photos when he was quiet got some really cute open eye shots and then I did a really nice shot where she was holding him and he was naked on her hands and Mm -hmm. she was kissing the back of him so she posted those photos and everybody was like, oh my gosh, these are so beautiful. They're great. They're amazing. At this time, because I wasn't a professional, I had no kind of scale of what was amazing and what wasn't. Right. <laughs> now, when I look back at them, I'm like, oh my gosh, they're horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but at that time, she really valued them. And even to this day, she always says, like, I know you're a lot better now, but forever, like, I will value those photos just because I got to have something of my baby who is now five years old at that mm-hmm. time. So that's kind of how I started. I had no interest and she referred a couple people and then I just kept going. And then I started thinking, you know what, maybe I really should learn how to do this properly. Started doing some online courses. I invested a lot more in my equipment, started kind of learning the business side more on how to actually run a photography business because that is a whole different entity. A lot of people come into this and they're like, you know, I'm a great photographer and I know amazing photographers that are still working their not ideal job because they have no clue of how to run business. So that was the hardest thing in my journey was kind of understanding like taxes and putting money away and I don't get EI and CPP anymore. I don't have that. So, Mm -hmm. but it's been quite a journey and I, I wouldn't look back really. I think it's taught me a lot along the way especially about resilience. I've had so many instances where I felt like, oh my goodness, I need to give up. Like I can't do Mm -hmm. this anymore. That's that's entrepreneurship for you. Yes. And every day, like I'm sure you can relate, like every month you're like, this month's so great. I'm on top of the world. Money's coming in the next month. Oh my gosh, it's so slow. (laughs) (laughs) I had a conversation on a previous podcast where I said, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for just over 10 years now. So I've had days where my bank account has has had, you know, multiple six figures. And I've also had days where my account's been at multiple cents. Like I've been all over the scale. <laughs> Welcome to entrepreneurship. Overdraft. <laughs> <laughs> Overdraft protection is my best friend on slow months. <laughs> entrepreneurship is real. It's definitely not for, for everyone. But I mean, when you started speaking about your journey and you said you became an entrepreneur or photographer by accident, nothing happens by chance. You definitely yes, have something within you that even those instances like it's like you were attracted to those things those situations came for you for you to grow because you had to start somewhere and look at where you are today absolutely I've actually my aunt reminded me the other day I've actually been an entrepreneur since I was a child when we were younger we lived in housing and I grew up in Windsor so we lived in um, the west end of Windsor and housing and my mom would work overnight a lot and she, I would come home after school and she'd wake up from a nap and the whole like community of people, like all the kids would be in my basement and we'd be running an after school program. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like eight years old and I had them doing arts and crafts. I had them eating all my school snacks my mom just bought. I Look at that. <laughs> watching a movie and my mom's literally like, what in the heck? You have 10 kids in my basement and they eat all your school snacks. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> And that's That's kind of when it started for me. So I've always had it in me for sure. It was always just kind of figuring out which avenue would be the one to really uh, manifest into a full-time business. Mm. So tell us one thing that most people don't know about Autumn. 
I'm actually terrified of being alone more than anything in the world. Being alone is like my absolute biggest fear. I am such a social butterfly that I cannot imagine. Like I have my moments of like, I need my time to myself, but I think about uh, back to the true crime thing (laughs) when Mm -hmm. people commit, when people commit crimes and they run off and they change their identity and they create this whole new world for themselves. I could never, like, I just think about like all of my social relationships and there's obviously people that I hold very dear to me and I could never imagine being in this world completely alone or like feeling alone. And I have experienced that feeling of like in my head, I don't feel like people are with me mm-hmm. um, many times. Like I've, I've gone through a lot of different journeys of ensuring that my mental health has been intact and going through depression, anxiety, and those kind of things. And there's been so many times where my friends and family have said to me, you're not alone. I'm here. I'm here. A prime example would be my, one of my best friends passed away April of 2018. Wow, so and my Thank you. And he was actually the one that helped me create the first camp that I was doing. Um, and he was like a great encourager. Like he, he really encouraged me to do anything, was the person that I would run to the minute I achieved anything or the minute I failed at anything. So when he passed away, my family came up from Windsor to stay with me in Toronto for a bit because obviously it was a hard time for me. Mm-hmm. And my mom is such a loving, gentle soul at times <laughs> that, <laughs> that she feels compelled to want to hug you and touch you and kiss you and love you all the time when you're going mm-hmm. through something. And me, I was like, I don't want to be touched. I just want you to be here, right. but don't talk to me. Right, right. <laughs> And then when that was happening, my mom would be saying, you know, we're here. And I'm like, but I feel alone. I feel alone. And a lot of that comes from my mental feeling like people are not understanding or misunderstanding me. Mm -hmm. And since I was a child, I've had that feeling of when I go through very difficult times, even though I have a supportive network, I also feel as though there's times where nobody in the world could ever understand what I go through. Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. That for me ties into the feeling of loneliness. And I think that that is the scariest thing for me is because when I feel alone, I feel unsafe and I feel insecure and I feel like everything is falling apart and I catastrophize. Like my my one moment of this person not understanding now turns into, oh my gosh, I'm the worst photographer ever. (laughs) Mm, Yep, yep. So, you know, trying to stay on the pathway of uh, carpent, or what is it called? Compartmental. <laughs> I can't oh, say that com- word. <laughs> compartmentalizing. Yes, yes. Yeah. Trying to keep everything in its own area and not letting it cross where it doesn't need to cross. So Totally understand. <laughs> have you ever heard of the five love languages? Yes, I have. Okay. So I find that outside of relationships with uh, a partner, it's also very helpful in helping us to deal with our parents and children and et cetera. There's actually, I believe there's a separate one that even kids can take to understand your love language because it sounds like your mom's love language is physical touch. So that's how she shows love. Yes, um, yes. And it, I have a lot of friends who are like yourself that don't want to be touched. That's not their love language. So when you understand what your love language is, then you're able to express to people what you need in order to feel loved because her being there and hugging you that's her saying I'm here for you you're not alone and she's hugging you to say look I'm here but that's not how you process love so if she understood better what you needed then she could help you so that you don't feel alone and that you don't feel 
unsafe. Yeah, I, I sure. totally get that. Yeah. And it's weird because I'm actually a very affectionate person. Mm-hmm. But when I'm in that space of going through something or crisis, as I call it, my love language changes. Mm. So I because I do feel that my love language is touch and affection. It's almost as if I have like a different side of myself is like I need something different. Oftentimes too, actually my friend who passed away, his sister actually said this to me and it made so much sense. She she said, when someone passes away, we often feel as though we need to say things to make ourselves feel better. Mm-hmm. When really that person just needs to know that someone is there, not necessarily words to be said. Right. And I think that in our society, when someone passes away or there's like a trauma of some sort or someone's going through something, we don't know how we're uncomfortable with feeling like someone else is going through things. So we feel the need to say things that we think will sound good. Because we want really to fix it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. But it's, it sometimes makes it worse. Yes. I can totally relate. In uh, 2012, my sister passed away. And the following oh, summer, my grandmother, who helped raise me, passed away. And oh, wow. the flood of people that want to say things. <laughs> and yeah. uh, the experience with my sister totally changed my life because the whole world felt the need to reach out to me and let me know what she meant to them which was great. It obviously made me look at the legacy that I want to leave behind. But in terms of comforting me in that moment, the people who actually just showed up, the people who sat with me, even while I cried myself to sleep, those are the things that I remember deeply. Those are the things that helped me cope and heal through the process. So I I totally understand what you're saying where when you're dealing, especially with trauma, and another factor that may come into play for you is because you were abused as a child. A lot of people, whether it be sexual abuse or physical abuse as a child, mentally, subconsciously, there's a different way that you process being touched. So exactly, it's very possible that because when you were dealing with that trauma of the loss of your friend, that whole process of how you deal with touch in that moment probably comes up to the surface. Exactly. And it's a fine line I'm always kind of walking and balancing on because as a victim and someone who has gone through childhood abuse, sexual, physical, mental abuse, I always, and also because I've gone to school for, you know, psych- child psychology and that kind of thing. And I've, I've had experience in that. And now that I'm in the workforce that I'm in now with dealing with families and babies and everything, I always feel the need to tell myself that I am more healed than I am mm-hmm. and often what's, what happens is I try to force myself not to look like what victims look like right so I always have to remind myself that you define yourself as a victim in certain ways in certain ways you perceive yourself and I had to overcome I guess the need of like trying to prove to people I wasn't a victim right the image that you have of yourself projects out to the world and that's how they deal with you. So if you present yourself as the victim, they will deal with you as the victim. But if you present yourself as the victor, they will deal with you as the victor. Exactly. And what was happening was I know what I need in my mind, but sometimes my mind and my feelings do not mix or they don't match up. This is like such a a great point that I'm making now because it's something I actually just discussed with my friend the other day. I had a day a couple days ago where literally I just was depleted. I was having serious mood swings and I did not understand why they were happening, but I couldn't grasp control of them. Like Mm -hmm. I was trying to give myself positive thoughts, you know, I was trying to get myself out of bed and on the road so that I could not be in my room. And I said to my friend, it often feels as though my mind and my feelings 
are telling themselves two separate things. Like my mind is telling myself, you're a beautiful photographer. You're amazing at what you do. So many people look up to you. And then my feelings on the inside are not matching up to that. And when Mm -hmm. that happens for me is when it becomes really confusing and I start isolating myself. I start getting into the realm of, I don't want to talk to anybody today. I just want to be, but even though I know these things will make me feel better and I need Mm -hmm. to do them so that I don't fall into any type of depression or anxiety or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, It's really hard when your feelings are not on board with your mind. So really hard. I'm going to totally break down something for you that will help you to actually understand what you experienced. So think of your mind, think of a circle and that's your mind. And the top half is your thoughts your conscious mind. The bottom half is your feelings and your subconscious mind. Okay. And oftentimes our thoughts, which, you know, are connected to everything around us, our five senses, what we touch, hear, smell, taste, all of that good stuff. And then our feelings of what we've internalized. Our subconscious, the feelings that we've internalized, they don't know the difference between fact or fiction. So whatever comes to it, it feels like it's real. So If you've deep down internalized things, every time you get that feeling again, it feels like it's real. So even though on the outside, your thoughts and your conscious mind, you're telling yourself that you're great and all of these things, if you have not internalized what you are thinking on the outside so that it can be absorbed into your feelings with your subconscious, they don't connect. So now you're no longer in an XX vibration, a vibration that matches up. You're in an XY vibration and it's like confusing. So that confusion causes anxiety, it causes a disease, it causes all kinds of things within you, in your body. So you feeling like those two don't match up, it's because they're not matching up right now. So now you're having on the outside with the positive thoughts of who you are and what you've done and what you want to be, you need to use affirmations and all kinds of positive reminders, gratitude practices, all those things so that you can internalize your thoughts to match up with the feelings that you have inside of who you actually are and and how you feel about yourself. Absolutely. And I I actually, going on the point that you said internalizing it, um, I've always said to people that internalizing internalized motivators or factors always are more longstanding than hearing Mm -hmm. it from a friend or yes so I when I have those days I really allow myself to have those days and I honestly since I would say like 2010 2011 2012 when I was going through court against my perpetrator for what I went through as a child I've made huge gains in terms of being able to be insightful, reflecting, understanding what's going on, labeling what I'm feeling and thinking so that I can make a move to process it and and make a plan of action in order to correct it, all of those things. But there's been days where I'm like, listen, this is a lot going on. I need to take the day to figure this out on my own. And then tomorrow I'll feel better. And that has also helped a lot because before when I would go through those feelings, it always felt like it was never going to end. Like Mm -hmm. it felt like it was just going to last forever. Like, oh my gosh, I'm always going to be sad and depressed and anxious. And this is always going to feel so awful. But now what I say is tomorrow will be better. Tomorrow's Mm going to be better. Today's just a bad day, but that's okay. Tomorrow's going to be a better day. And I really try to speak that out. And it always does. It does absolutely help. Or I'll give myself a time period. Like if something happens and it triggers me, okay, for the next hour and a half, I just need to be alone. And after an hour and a half, I got to get up and I got to do what I have to do. Right. And I think that that is what humans need to do. I feel like some people, they don't take that time to 
really just pull apart what's what they're feeling and what's going on for them. And mm-hmm. they just keep going, 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 and then it builds up and it floods, eventually floods. Yes, so, I, I was going to say, it's great that you recognize how you're feeling and that you're able to label it. And a part of the whole vibration thing I was talking about, you being able to label the feeling that you're feeling and acknowledging and recognizing the vibration that you're on. Because when you say that you're feeling a certain way, you've acknowledged. So let's say, for instance, you say that you're feeling sad. You've acknowledged that you're on a low vibration. When you say that you're feeling happy, you've acknowledged that you're on a high vibration. So the fact that you're able to first acknowledge it, second, label it, allows you to process so that you can actually move into the vibration that you want to be in. Absolutely. And I think a huge piece of it for me has been accountability. That has been so huge for me and not the sense of like, I blame, because it used to be accountability in a very negative way. When I first went through court, it used to be, it's my fault. Everything is my fault because in court, the whole defense was, I was a bad child and this is what I deserve. That was a narrative that I heard. So when I first, yeah, it was really awful. And I had to work through that because the defense in the criminal justice system, they're all about facts. They're not very lenient when it comes to being mindful of how you make a victim feel. And being, I was 18 years old when I first started the court proceedings, but I had been going through the abuse stuff since I was five, or even maybe before that, and I just don't remember. So, you know, going through such a traumatic experience and then going through court after going through that traumatic experience to be told you deserved what what happened to you because you were a bad child and you were defiant and this and this, I started internalizing that as, okay, maybe they're right. Maybe I did deserve this. Maybe I am a bad person. And I had to work through that and I had to start speaking things out into the world and taking accountability for when I was allowing them to win. That's what I used to say say Mm -hmm. to myself. You were allowing them to win because you were just proving to them that they are right. Mm -hmm. So you need to do the opposite of what they think you are. And and that's why Exactly. And so that's why I have been so, so motivated in my business, so motivated in anything that I've put my hands on in terms of taking full power and control over it, making opportunities for myself, not trying to hear no as an answer and allowing myself to find Mm -hmm. other methods or pathways to hear yes, or make my own opportunities to give myself a yes. So I think accountability is such a huge thing when, especially when it comes to being victimized, it's not to say that you're to blame, but it's to say, you know what, you have to be in control of you as well. You cannot allow them to dictate who you are and what you are and who you're going to become. That's right. I love that. So what inspires you most about what you do? Oh my goodness. I have the best clients. I work with newborns. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, How can I not? Um, So really, realistically, so until recently, I was doing weddings as well. And I think the whole like, beginning to end process of seeing a family unit evolve has been so inspiring to me like you're you're there for the engagement shoot you're there for the wedding then they come back to you for their newborn or their maternity session sorry then you're there for the newborn then they come back for their first birthday then every year for a family session and now the child's five and you're you know you were a part of creating their family history and that's how I see and I I basically pitch to my clients when they come in to order their products and they're like oh you know I don't know if I need an album I just want digital files I get that question all the time or people saying that all the time and I'm like yeah okay great we can have digital files 
But who's to say that the internet is not going to shut down one day? Who knows, right? Right. And what is your 75-year-old son who want, who has the great-grandchildren now going to be able to leave for his family? And how cool would it be for his great-great-grandchildren after he's passed away to have this piece of family history? Right. So when you look at it that way, I think that is the most amazing thing that I do and is like, wow, like it's meaningful now because you can post with your family and friends on social media, but this is not really going to mean anything to my clients until 50 years from now. Right. Right. I think that's so important. Like when I had my kids, especially the first two, I used to be that mom that took a picture of everything and I was spending hundreds of dollars every couple of months going to develop photos. And my poor son probably only has like the first three months to six months of his life pictures because everything went digital after that and I stopped printing pictures and I'm thinking every now and again my daughters will come and they go into the bucket of photos and they look at you know their baby pictures and everything that happened since then and I don't think my son has that same trail those same memories so you've just triggered me and inspired me to get back to printing yes photos of my kids thank you and that's important and there's actually studies I always tell my clients this too there are studies especially for black children or children of color that say kids that see their self and family photos printed on the wall more often feel like they're a part of their family wow there's actually I don't know the exact statistic or where I found it but if you type it in you can find it there's actually research that has been done on this so I always encourage it And I also think it's just really important because when people pass away, what's the first thing people look for? Photos. Yep, you're right. It's the first thing. It's the first thing that people look for. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I can do it on my phone. And it's not just about the photo and the end result. It's about the experience. I love when my clients message me and they say, my kids had such a good time. My child's confidence has boosted immensely just from that one experience with you or oh my goodness we have never had family photos thank you so much for allowing us to come into your studio and capture these moments of my children being so young like Mm -hmm. that is for me is so heartfelt and it makes me want to do what I do many years to come (laughs) I love it I love it I love it so I mean we've touched on your experience with being abused as a child and this is where I usually like to ask people like what other adversities have you experienced to get to where you are today so I guess my question to you Autumn is whether you want to go deeper into that experience or if you wanted to share some other experiences that you've had to endure to get to where you are currently in your journey okay so you know what I will actually touch on that like the post-court experiences because it all kind of ties in and I think it's really important okay so obviously the trauma of being abused was very significant in my life however it sounds really really strange when I tell people this but I feel what really really impacted me more than anything was court like I was pretty damaged before court happened but going through court itself was what was so pivotal in my life in terms of the trauma that I really experienced the type of questions they asked me it felt so violating um, the way they handled the situation and and the court situation and treated me as though I deserved to have what happened to me and my sisters were also a part of the court process because I actually yeah we were all a part of it and 
But because I was the one that initiated the charges, I was treated differently than they were. They were treated more like a witness, where I was treated like the person that was against our father, who was the perpetrator. So mm-hmm. the family disconnect, a lot of my family to this day will not talk to me. They blame me. They think that I was the one that started this whole thing when really it was generational. I was the first person in about four generations to have spoken up about incestuous wow. sexual abuse within the family. Wow. And it was going on for generations, generations, generations. So because of that, a lot of my family have said, because you spoke up, it made me have to face what I went through that I brushed under the rug. So I don't like you for that. So wow. the anger was misdirected because people had to face a lot of what they've, they had brushed under the rug and that Definitely. they didn't want to talk about. And going through that as a young person and having all of that weight on my shoulders it caused me to spiral. I went through a long, a long-term depression. I had attempted suicide multiple times. The last time that I had attempted, I almost lost my life. So it was a really difficult time for me. And trying to regain that sense of self and after especially being violated, like you, mm-hmm. your your innocence is taken from you. And then on top of that, you have court and the government not understanding that this was a real serious situation and you're not lying about it. And then to hear that he only got two years, two months in prison. And then after mm-hmm. all of the time served and good behavior, he was out within like, I would say eight months in total, like he wow. had no real time. So it was like, wow, like my life did not matter. Like that's how I, I viewed it. And, mm-hmm. you know, and just kind of feeling like the world was against me because not only did I had fam- did I have family against me I had the government against me I had my father against me I had my sisters who were on my side but I didn't feel that they experienced to the same degree that I was experiencing everything on the same level just because like I said they were treated as witnesses and I was treated as the person against him so mm-hmm. It was very different for them. Their experience was very different. So I went through that. I ended up being hospitalized for the first time. I think it was in 2012 or 2011, sorry. I was very, very, very unwell, like mentally unwell, emotionally unwell. There was a period of time that every single day I woke up with the goal to die. That was my goal, to die. And I was going to figure out a way to die. And thinking back on it, it makes me really emotional because I can't believe that I was even in that space because now I I love my life. I love, (laughs) you know, what I've done for myself, but it took a lot of work to get here. I went through many years of counseling. I still, to this day, I go to counseling here and there just because I think it's important for especially sexual abuse survivors to see somebody every now and again because the minute you feel like you're healed something can trigger you and then it brings you back 20 steps right and you feel like oh my goodness like I'm back to square one and then it's easy to fall back into that again so I do try to check in once in a while just to make sure you know I'm doing okay talk about anything that's been recent that's triggered me but I've also had a lot of trauma with the mental health system. I had a psychiatrist at CAMH, and I know CAMH does great things, but my experience was not good. I had a psychiatrist there that just made me feel as though I was wasting his time. I was diagnosed with a mood disorder when I was in college because I was having a lot of trouble managing my mood swings. And Mm -hmm. it came down to that I had borderline personality disorder um, was the diagnosis they gave me as well as bipolar disorder and severe depression and all these other things. I had like six diagnoses by the time I was done with CAMH, which which it's crazy because after I saw other, like I got second opinions, they're like, they way overdiagnosed you. Like you do not have all of that stuff. Wow. 
<laughs> like, wow. absolutely not. Because a lot of the diagnoses, they cross with each other, right? Like there's many symptoms that can also be this, right? So right, right. he basically gave me anything that I fell into, but the, he didn't think of the effects that that would have on me as an adult in my life. Right. So now I have all these diagnoses on my record. Yes, some of them have been taken off, but even with life insurance, I've been denied now by five right. companies because they're like, you are too high risk. We're not going to take you on. You you have a mental health record. Like, absolutely not. And it's unfortunate because I feel that that's discrimination, but I get it. Okay, sure, it's high risk. I think there's ways around it, but it's unfortunate that they deal with it that way. So those are some of the things I've dealt with. The psychiatrist at CAMH, basically, I went to him wanting help, and it's sad that I spoke up and I said, I am not well. I do not feel safe. I need to be in the hospital. I need to be with somebody who can be with me because there's no family or friends that can be with me 24-7 right now. Can mm-hmm. you please admit me? And there was a space in the mood disorders clinic at CAMH at the time and he said okay no problem he's like come in on Monday if you can make it till Monday just come here Monday I'm gonna I'm gonna get you into the clinic come see me in the emergency room I'm working the emergency room I'll get you in said no problem I had a lot of anxiety about it because I was in the middle of my third year of college I wanted to finish I felt like a failure if I didn't finish so many things right and um, I prepared myself mentally I'm gonna go in I'm gonna get help six weeks I'll be away I'll figure it out with my professors just to come back take a leave come back I'll be good went to the clinic I got there he hands me a piece of paper and he says after thinking about it I think that I'm gonna have to suggest you to another psychiatrist because your issues are way too much for me and I don't have the time in my schedule to deal with this so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna admit you here's the outpatient resource clinic or whatever they were called give them a call on Monday and they'll help you and I literally pleaded with him I said I'm going to hurt myself can you please do something about this can you help me and he refused so I had to have my friend who passed away come and pick me up and stay with me. Wow. So I've had so much trauma with even just like the the criminal justice system, the mental health system. And it's unfortunate that when someone is saying I need help, that not always are they listening. Right. First of all, I just want to say I'm sorry that all of this happened to you straight from, you know, the childhood to the court proceedings to how our mental health care system has dealt with you. But I also want to say that I'm very proud of you. I'm proud of you for where you are today. I'm proud of you for taking the steps to not only heal yourself, but to help heal others. Thank you so So much. So I just, I just want you to know that, that there is, and I'm positive I'm not the only one, but there there are people that are very proud of you for still being here today. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, I really, I am happy that I had certain people in my life at that time to keep me afloat because I do feel that if I didn't have them that I would not be here only because I was so very sick at that time. I wasn't stable. I don't feel that I had the strength at that time to mind over matter. A lot of people Mm -hmm. say that, mind over matter. Um, I was very lost only because of the narrative that I was hearing about myself and starting to internalize it and hear it. And I mean, how can you you really not when you're 18 years old, you're very impressionable at at that age to also be going to court against your father and to hear adults that you feel should be protecting you or should or you feel that should be protecting the law and wanting to make right with the law and then it's backfiring and it's making you you know so I had a lot of factors with that but I had an amazing counselor and actually it's crazy because he was a male and I usually don't trust male counselors but I gave (laughs) him a shot and he was absolutely life-changing for me. I was with him for four and a half years before he moved on to another job but even after my friend passed away last year 
he heard that my friend passed away and he wasn't my counselor at the time, but he knew my friend's impact in my life. And he reached out to me and he's like, Hey, I'm here for you. If you need anything, feel free to come and chat. Like, let me know if you need anything. Thank God for people like him that yes. it's not a, just a job to them, that they actually yes. care about the impact that they're making. Exactly. And he was so good with that. And, you know, he was, even there was a time I was hospitalized and we were supposed to have a, a session that week. And he was like, I'm going to come to the hospital to see you because I think it's important that we talk. I think Mm -hmm. that's one thing that really helps you. So he, after his regular hours, came to Humber River when I was staying. I was at Humber River at the time. Came to Humber River to see me. And uh, we did our session at the hospital. Like he made time and it was life-changing for me because he really made me feel that he cared about me and I had mm-hmm. one other um I had one other doctor Dr. Weir she's now retired she was a psychiatrist but strangely enough she was a psychiatrist that wasn't 100% agreeing with medication right. like she because that was the main thing for me is like that middle ground of like am I a victim and am I a am I a client and am I seen as a patient or am I this empowered person and I didn't like being labeled as a victim or a client so she really didn't want to make me feel that way and a lot of psychiatrist did like they would always be like well you need to be on meds you need to be on meds you need to be on meds and I'm like I'm working out well that's working like why can't I just work out and they're like Mm -hmm. no you need to be on meds where her she would say the first meeting I had with her and this was so empowering for me she said why don't I get all of your medical records and together we look at them and we decide what you feel that you are why don't we we, why don't we see what you label yourself as not what they label you as Right. And we went together. (laughs) Yes. And we went together with a fine tooth comb. And she's like, do you feel that you're psychotic? Do you feel that you're just suicidal? What do you feel about yourself? Do you feel that this was just a moment in your life where you're going through something and this was the the symptom of what you were going through? Or do you feel that that is who you are? And that's kind of how she changed my perception on what I went through. And it was very empowering for me. I think it's important that you've shared those experiences one because a lot of people rely on medicine and I am no longer a fan of pharmaceutical medicine Mm -hmm. after having my own experience with health issues and I do definitely understand that the body is an instrument of the mind so the things that we put into our body the things whether that be thoughts feelings food whatever comes in affects the outcome it affects how we behave so I think that it's important that you shared those differences in how some were trying to force medicine on you because that's an easy band-aid fix for them. But there was someone who actually cared to coach you through the process and to help you through it. Yes, so I'm so happy that that is somebody can take that and it can be used as a positive because <laughs> that's what I'm here for. I really, <laughs> I'm really happy about that. What is your self-care routine look like? Oh, I have the best one. I think everyone's going to want to do my <laughs> self-care routine. <laughs> <laughs> my self-care routine is I give myself a day. I'm allowed to eat anything in the world that I want, even if it's a gallon of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I watch as much Netflix as I want and I say no to all work that day. Or I allow myself to feel moved to do things, not because I'm obligated to do it. Right. So instead of like, oh, I have work, I have to go to work because I'm obligated to go to work. Because I'm an entrepreneur, I have that advantage, thankfully. But I say, Mm -hmm. listen, I'm not feeling like going to work. I'm not going to go to work. I feel like taking a shower. I'm going to take a shower. I go with what my feelings feel like. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also just prayer. I've gotten a lot more in touch with my faith and trying to be more connected with God and 
I fasted and prayed for the first time ever last month. And it was like unreal <laughs> what was revealed to me. I was like so scared because I never, I never had such a spiritual like awakeness ever mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, this is insane. Wow. <laughs> you know, a lot of people who are not, um, I'm going to say not educated on that side of things don't understand the effects and yes. what was actually it's it can be scary um, when you start to tap into that heavy awareness after I had my surgery in February and I had to remove myself not only from the outside world but a lot of foods and a lot of things and fasting and going through all that stuff and my sensitivity to things became almost scary to me where you know you tap into this infinite spiritual power and you're just like what is happening right now is why like I uh, why can I feel what you're feeling why do I know your dreams yeah it's crazy the dreams the dreams are like the most like I felt like I was doing a virtual video game in my dreams like it was (laughs) like I'm like whoa (laughs) yeah so yeah those are my self-care routines I feel like the the best thing for me though is just listening to myself and just if I don't want to do nothing today I'm not doing it I'm sorry Mm -hmm. I love you guys it's not happening (laughs) and and that's okay is so important don't ever doubt the need for it and especially when you've been through so many different traumatic experiences whenever you feel like it's self-care time don't let anyone guilt you into feeling like you have to do anything because if you can't take care of yourself you cannot be able to do anything for anyone else yeah absolutely so there's this article that i like to reference and i came across this article in the reader's digest and it basically says that your favorite type of shoe says a lot about your personality. And so okay. far it's been on point. So my question to you, Autumn, is what is your favorite type of shoe? Is it a high heel boot, a running shoe, a stiletto, a pump, a mule, work boot, flip flops? Uh, I am runners all day. Oh my <laughs> goodness. It's almost to the point where like my friends started doubting if I had the ability to be sexy. <laughs> they're like, they're like, you're always in runners. I did a boudoir shoot, like a lingerie shoot. And yeah. the photographer, like most of the time he'll put everybody in like heels, like any of the models that he works with or whatever. And he's like, Autumn, put on your lingerie and put on your shell to Adidas, please. And I'm like, <laughs> yes! <laughs> And he's like, that is so you. We're going to do sexy lingerie with shell toe Adidas. I'm like, you are the best. (laughs) I was so happy. And I felt so sexy in my shell toe Adidas. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Love it. So let's see. Running shoe fans are goal oriented. If you are someone who enjoys fitness challenges, takes your New Year's resolutions to heart, and has been known to go the extra mile with a label maker, we bet you prefer running shoes. This is someone who's very confident, very goal-oriented, and very organized. They really illustrate the idea of multitasking, taking care of everything, and being everywhere. Oh, wow. That's so me. And I'm a a Sagittarius too. Yes. So Sagittarius are usually very organized. We're very spontaneous. So it kind of goes hand in hand. I love it. Okay. Okay. So before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they can stay connected with you online. www.autumnbreephotography. So that's A-U-T-U-M-N-B-R-I-photography.com. 
And you can find me also on Instagram at Autumn Brief Photography. So A-U-T-U-M-N-B-R-I Photography. Thank you. For the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom. And it's just where you answer a couple of reflection questions. Uh, You say the first thing that comes to mind. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. So it's also my favorite book. Um, You Are a Badass, How to Stop Mm. Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living an Awesome Life. Love it. Yes. So So, I love that book mainly because it changed the way I looked at my victimization. mm -hmm. It was very powerful for me. What new belief, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years? Getting up earlier to start my day has Mm. definitely been the one behavior that has changed (laughs) I used to be a, in, a sleeper inner till 3 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, and most of it has to do with my personal assistant. She is like, get up. We're meeting at 7 a.m. We're game planning your day. And then we are on our way. And I feel like I'm so much more productive when I get up early, start my day, and then 12 o'clock comes. All my work is done, and I can just have fun. Love mm, it. Love it. Well, Autumn, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us. I really, really appreciate you sharing your story with us today thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure thank you and to all of our faith walkers out there until next time subscribe to our newsletter at awalkonmysolettos.com and grab one of my personal development books available online everywhere and if you've received value from today's show make sure you share it with a friend that needs to hear autumn's testimony be sure to screenshot this week's episode and tag us on instagram at the real mckinney smith and autumn is at autumn brief photography yes there we go and continue (laughs) to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling 